Alright, welcome back. This is part two of the Naval Treaty here on the Sherlock Holmes story. And like I did mention, we're getting really close to the end of this book, which you know what that means. We gotta pick another book. And I rely on you guys to help me do that. So the best way to get in touch is on social media. Facebook is uh, another World Audiobooks, I think. We're just right on there. Um, so yeah, get in touch with me. Let me know what book you would like to hear next. Also on Twitter, at Greenwood Tales, and on Instagram as well. So all the links for all that stuff is down in the show notes. So get in touch with me. Let me know what book you want to hear next. Remember, I am giving away all four of the Sherlock books that we have done. So if you want full, free audiobooks that are completely on a and no ads or anything like that, no no uh, splitting them up into weekly episodes. You can all you gotta do is follow the instructions that are in the show notes down below. Super simple. It's just a great way for you to help support the show by telling other people about it through uh, leaving a rating and review and post on social media. So it's it's pretty simple. I, I love giving you guys these guys these free audiobooks and, and all I ask in return is that you help me spread the word. So if you want to follow those instructions, you'll get entered to win that uh, Oh, four free audiobooks, which is, I don't know, I feel like that's a pretty good deal. Hopefully you guys do too, and uh, you get in on that, and yeah, help spread the word. So without further ado, I give you part two of the Naval Treaty. It was in vain that she protested and resisted. A four-wheeler was brought, and we all three drove back in it. We had first made an examination of the kitchen, and especially of the kitchen fire, to see whether she might have made away with the papers during the instant that she was alone. There were no signs, however, of any ashes or scraps. When we reached Scotland Yard, she was handed over at once to the female searcher. I waited in an agony of suspense until she came back in with her report. There were no signs of the papers. Then, for the first time, the horror of my situation came in its full force. Hitherto I had been acting, and action had numb thought. I had been so confident of regaining the treaty at once that I had not dared to think of what would be the consequence if I failed to do so. But now there was nothing more to be done, and I had leisure to realize my position. It was horrible. Watson there would tell you that I was a nervous, sensitive boy at school. It is my nature. I thought of my uncle and of his colleagues in the cabinet, of the shame which I had brought upon him, upon myself, upon every one connected with me. What, though I was the victim of an extraordinary accident? No allowances made for accidents where diplomatic interests are at stake. I was ruined, shamefully, hopelessly ruined. I don't know what I did. I fancy I must have made a scene. I have a dim recollection of a group of officials who crowded round me, endeavouring to soothe me. One of them drove down with me to Waterloo, and saw me into the walking train— I believe that he would have come all the way had it not been that Dr. Ferrier, who lives near me, was going down by that very train. The doctor most kindly took charge of me, and it was well he did so, for I had a fit in the station, and before we reached home I was practically a raving maniac. You can imagine the state of things here when they were roused from their beds by the doctor's ringing and found me in this condition. Poor Annie here and my mother were heartbroken. Dr. Ferrier had just heard enough from the detective at the station to be able to give an idea of what had happened, and his story did not mend matters. It was evident to all that I was in for a long illness, so Joseph was bundled out of his cheery bedroom, and it was turned into a sick-room for me. Here I have lain, Mr. Holmes, for over nine weeks, unconscious and raving with brain fever. If it had not been for Miss Harrison here, and for the doctor's care, I should not be speaking to you now. She has nursed me by day, and a hired nurse has looked after me by night, for in my mad fits I was capable of anything. 
Slowly my reason is cleared, but it is only during the last three days that my memory is quite returned. Sometimes I wish it never had. The first thing that I did was to wire to Mr. Forbes, who had the case in hand. He came out and assures me that, though everything has been done, no trace of a clue has been discovered. The commissioner and his wife have been examined in every way, without any light being thrown upon the matter. The suspicions of the police then rested upon young Garot, who, as you may remember, stayed overtime in the office that night. His remaining behind, and his French name, were really the only two points which could suggest suspicion. But, as a matter of fact, I did not begin work until he had gone, and his people are of Huguenot extraction, but as English in sympathy and tradition as you or I are. Nothing was found to implicate him in any way, and there the matter dropped. I turn to you, Mr. Holmes, as absolutely my last hope. If you fail me, then my honour, as well as my position, are for ever forfeited. The invalid sank back upon his cushions, tired out by his long recital, while his nurse poured him out a glass of some stimulating medicine. Holmes sat silently, with his head thrown back and his eyes closed, in an attitude which might seem listless to a stranger, but which I knew betokened the most intense self-absorption. "'Your statement has been so explicit,' said he at last, "'that you have really left me very few questions to ask.' There is one of the very utmost importance, however. Did you tell anyone that you had this special task to perform? No one. Not Miss Harrison here, for example? No, I had not been back to walking between getting the order and executing the commission. And none of your people had by chance been to see you? None. Did any of them know their way about in the office? Oh, yes. All of them had been shown over it. Still, of course, if you said nothing to anyone about the treaty, these inquiries are irrelevant. I said nothing. Do you know anything of the commissioner? Nothing, except that he is an old soldier. What regiment? Oh, I've heard Coldstream Guards. Thank you. I have no doubt I can get details from Forbes. The authorities are excellent at amassing facts, though they do not always use them to advantage. What a lovely thing a rose is. He walked past the couch to the open window, and held up the drooping stalk of a moss rose, looking down at the dainty blend of crimson and green. It was a new phase of his character to me, for I had never seen him show any keen interest in natural objects. "'There is nothing in which deduction is so necessary as in religion,' said he, leaning with his back against the shutters. "'It can be built up as an exact science by the reasoner. Our highest assurance of the goodness of providence seems to me to rest in the flowers. All other things, our powers, our desires, our food, are all really necessary for our existence in the first instance. But this rose is extra. Its smell and its colour are an embellishment of life, not a condition of it. It is only goodness which gives extras, and so I say again that we have much to hope for from flowers. Percy Phelps and his nurse looked at Holmes during this demonstration with surprise, and a good deal of disappointment written upon their faces. He had fallen into a reverie with the moss rose between his fingers. It had lasted some minutes before the young lady broke in upon it. 
Do you see any prospect of solving this mystery, Mr. Holmes? She asked with a touch of asperity in her voice. Oh, the mystery, he answered, coming back with a start to the realities of life. Well, it would be absurd to deny that the case is a very obtruse and complicated one, but I can promise you that I will look into the matter and let you know any points which may strike me. Do you see any clue? You have furnished me with seven, but of course I must test them before I can pronounce upon their value. You suspect someone? I suspect myself. What? Of coming to conclusions too rapidly. Then go to London and test your conclusions. Your advice is very excellent, Miss Harrison, said Holmes, rising. I think, Watson, we cannot do better. Do not allow yourself to indulge in false hopes, Mr. Phelps. The affair is a very tangled one. I shall be in a fever until I see you again, cried the diplomist. Well, I'll come out by the same train tomorrow, though it's more than likely that my report will be a negative one. God bless you for promising to come, cried our client. It gives me fresh life to know that something is being done. By the way, I have had a letter from Lord Holdhurst. Ah, what did he say? He was cold, but not harsh. I dare say my severe illness prevented him from being that. He repeated that the matter was of the utmost importance, and added that no steps would be taken about my future, by which he means, of course, my dismissal, until my health was restored and I had an opportunity of repairing my misfortune. Well, that was reasonable and considerate, said Holmes. Come, Watson, for we have a good day's work before us in town. Mr. Joseph Harrison drove us down to the station, and we were soon whirling up in a Portsmouth train. Holmes was sunk in profound thought, and hardly opened his mouth until we had passed Clapham Junction. It's a very cheery thing to come into London by any of these lines which run high, and allow you to look down upon the houses like this. I thought he was joking, for the view was sordid enough, but he soon explained himself. Look at those big, isolated clumps of buildings rising up above the slates, like brick islands in a lead-coloured sea. The board schools? Lighthouses, my boy. Beacons of the future. Capsules with hundreds of bright little seeds in each, out of which will spring the wise, better England of the future. I suppose that man Phelps does not drink? I should not think so. Nor should I. But we are bound to take every possibility into account. The poor devil has certainly got himself into a very deep water, and it's a question whether we shall ever be able to get him ashore. What do you think of Miss Harrison? A girl of strong character? Yes, but she is a good sort, or I am mistaken. She and her brother are the only children of an iron master somewhere up Northumberland way. He got engaged to her when travelling last winter, and she came down to be introduced to his people with her brother as escort. Then came the smash, and she stayed on to nurse her lover, while brother Joseph, finding himself pretty snug, stayed on too. I've been making a few independent inquiries, you see, but today must be a day of inquiries. My practice, I began. Oh, if you find your own cases more interesting than mine, said Holmes with some asperity. I was going to say that my practice could get along very well for a day or two, since it is the slackest time in the year. Excellent. 
said he, recovering his good humour. Then we'll look into this matter together. I think that we should begin by seeing forms. He can probably tell us all the details we want until we know from what side the case is to be approached. You said you had a clue? Well, we have several, but we can only test their value by further inquiry. The most difficult crime to track is the one which is purposeless. Now this is not purposeless. Who is it who profits by it? There is the French ambassador, there is the Russian, there is whoever might sell it to either of these, and there is Lord Holdhurst. Lord Holdhurst? Well, it is just conceivable that a statesman might find himself in a position where he was not sorry to have such a document accidentally destroyed. Not a statesman with the honourable record of Lord Holdhurst? It is a possibility, and we cannot afford to disregard it. We shall see the noble lord today, and find out if he can tell us anything. Meanwhile, I have already set inquiries on foot. Already? Yes, I sent wires from walking station to every evening paper in London. This advertisement will appear in each of them. He handed over a sheet torn from a notebook. On it was scribbled in pencil, Ten pound reward. The number of the cab which dropped a fare at or about the door of foreign office in Charles Street at quarter to ten in the evening of May 23rd. Apply 221B Baker Street. You are confident that the thief came in a cab? If not, there is no harm done. But if Mr. Phelps is correct in stating that there is no hiding place, either in the room or the corridors, then the person must have come from the outside. If he came from outside on so wet a night, and left no trace of damp upon the linoleum, which was examined within a few minutes of his passing, then it is exceedingly probable that he came in a cab. Yes, I think we may safely deduce a cab. It sounds plausible. That is one of the clues of which I spoke. It may lead us to something. And then, of course, there is the bell, which is the most distinctive feature of the case— why should the bell ring? Was it the thief who did it out of bravado? Or was it someone who was with the thief who did it in order to prevent the crime? Or was it an accident? Or was it... He sank back into the state of intense and silent thought from which he had emerged, but it seemed to me, accustomed as I was to his every mood, that some new possibility had dawned suddenly upon him. It was twenty past three when we reached our terminus, and after a hasty luncheon at the buffet, we pushed on at once to Scotland Yard. Holmes had already wired to Forbes, and we found him waiting to receive us, a small, foxy man with a sharp but by no means amiable expression. He was decidedly frigid in his manner to us, especially when he heard the errand upon which we had come. "'I've heard of your methods before now, Mr. Holmes,' said he tartly. You are ready enough to use all the information that the police can lay at your disposal, and then you try to finish the case yourself and bring discredit on them. On the contrary, said Holmes. Out of my last fifty-three cases, my name has only appeared in four, and the police have had all the credit in forty-nine. I don't blame you for not knowing this, for you are young and inexperienced. But if you wish to get on in your new duties— you will work with me and not against me. I'd be very glad of a hint or two, said the detective, changing his manner. I've certainly had no credit from the case so far. What steps have you taken? 
Tanji, the commissioner, has been shadowed. He left the guards with a good character, and we can find nothing against him. His wife is a bad lot, though. I fancy she knows more about this than appears. Have you shadowed her? We have set one of our women on her. Uh, Mrs. Tanji drinks, and our woman has been with her twice when she was well on, but she could not get nothing out of her. I understand that they have had brokers in the house? Yes, but they were paid off. Where did the money come from? That was all right. His pension was due. They have not shown any sign of being in funds. What explanation did she give of having answered the bell when Mr. Phelps rang for the coffee? She said that her husband was very tired and she wished to relieve him. Well, certainly that would agree with his being found a little later asleep in his chair. There is nothing against them, then, but the woman's character. Did you ask her why she hurried away that night? Her haste attracted the attention of the police constable. She was later than usual and wanted to get home. Did you point out to her that you and Mr. Phelps, who started at least twenty minutes after her, got home before her? She explained that by the difference between a bus and a hansom. Did she make it clear why, on reaching her house, she ran into the back kitchen? Because she had some money there with which to pay off the brokers. She has at least an answer for everything. Did you ask her whether in leaving she met anyone or saw anyone loitering about Charles Street? She saw no one but the constable. Well, you seem to have cross-examined her pretty thoroughly. What else have you done? The clerk, Garot, has been shadowed all these nine weeks, but without result. We can show nothing against him. Anything else? Well, we have nothing else to go upon. No evidence of any kind. Have you formed a theory about how that bell rang? Well, I must confess that it beats me. It was a cool hand, whoever it was, to go and give the alarm like that. Yes, it was a queer thing to do. Many thanks to you for what you have told me. If I can put the man into your hands, you shall hear from me. Come along, Watson. Where are we going now? I asked, as we left the office. We are going to interview Lord Holdhurst, the cabinet minister and future premier of England. We were fortunate in finding that Lord Holdhurst was still in his chambers in Downing Street, and, on home sending in his card, we were instantly shown up. The statesman received us with that old-fashioned courtesy for which he is remarkable, and seated us on the two luxuriant lounges on either side of the fireplace. Standing on the rug between us, with his slight, tall figure, his sharp features, thoughtful face, and curling hair prematurely tinged with grey, he seemed to represent that not-too-common type, a nobleman who is in truth noble. "'Your name is very familiar to me, Mr. Holmes,' said he, smiling. And, of course, I cannot pretend to be ignorant of the object of your visit. There has only been one occurrence in these offices which could call for your attention. In whose interest are you acting, may I ask? In that of Mr. Percy Phelps, answered Holmes. Ah, my unfortunate nephew, you can understand that our kinship makes it the more impossible for me to screen him in any way. I fear that the incident must have a very prejudicial effect upon his career. But if the document is found? Oh, that, of course, would be different. I had one or two questions which I wish to ask you, Lord Holdhurst. I shall be happy to give you any information in my power. 
Was it in this room that you gave your instructions as to the copying of the document? It was. Then you can hardly have been overheard. It is out of the question. Did you ever mention that it was your intention to give anyone that treaty to be copied? Never. Are you certain of that? Absolutely. Well, since you never said so, and Mr. Phelps never said so, and nobody else knew anything about the matter, then the thief's presence in the room was purely accidental. He saw his chance, and he took it. The statesman smiled. You take me out of my province there, said he. Holmes considered for a moment. There is another very important point which I wish to discuss with you, said he. You feared, as I understand, that very grave results might follow from the details of this treaty becoming known. A shadow passed over the very expressive face of the statesman. Very grave indeed. And have they occurred? Not yet. If the treaty had reached, let us say, the French or Russian foreign office, you would expect to hear of it. I should, said Lord Holthurst with a wry face. Since nearly ten weeks have elapsed then, and nothing has been heard of it, it is not unfair to suppose that, for some reason, the treaty has not reached them. Lord Holdhurst shrugged his shoulders. We can hardly suppose, Mr. Holmes, that the thief took the treaty in order to frame it and hang it up. Perhaps he is waiting for a better price. If he waits a little longer, he will get no price at all. The treaty will cease to be a secret in a few months. That is most important, said Holmes. Of course, it is a possible supposition that the thief has had a sudden illness. An attack of brain fever, for example? asked the statesman, flashing a swift glance at him. I did not say so, said Holmes imperturbably. And now, Lord Holdhurst, we have already taken up too much of your valuable time, and we shall wish you good day. Every success in your investigation be the criminal who it may, answered the nobleman as he bowed us at the door. He is a fine fellow, said Holmes as we came out into Whitehall. But he has a struggle to keep up his position. He is far from rich and has many calls. You noticed, of course, that his boots had been resold. Now, Watson, I won't detain you from your legitimate work any longer. I shall do nothing more today unless I have an answer to my cab advertisement. But I should be extremely obliged to you if you would come down with me to walking tomorrow by the same train which we took yesterday. I met him accordingly next morning, and we travelled down to walking together. He had had no answer to his advertisement, he said, and no fresh light had been thrown upon the case. He had, when he so willed it, the utter immobility of countenance of a red Indian, and I could not gather from his appearance whether he was satisfied or not with the position of the case. His conversation, I remember, was about the battalion system of measurements, and he expressed his enthusiastic admiration of the French savant. We found our client still under the charge of his devoted nurse, but looking considerably better than before. He rose from the sofa and greeted us without difficulty when we entered. "'Any news?' he asked eagerly. "'My report, as I expected, is a negative one,' said Holmes. "'I have seen Forbes, and I have seen your uncle, and I have set one or two trains of inquiry upon foot which may lead to something.' 
You have not lost heart, then? By no means. God bless you for saying that, cried Miss Harrison. If we keep our courage and our patience, the truth must come out. We have more to tell you than you have for us, said Phelps, reseating himself upon the couch. I hoped you might have something. Yes, we have had an adventure during the night, and one which might have proved to be a serious one. His expression grew very grave as he spoke, and a look of something akin to fear sprang up in his eyes. Do you know, said he, that I begin to believe that I am the unconscious centre of some monstrous conspiracy, and that my life is aimed at as well as my honour? Ah, cried Holmes. It sounds incredible, for I have not, as far as I know, an enemy in the world. Yet from last night's experience, I can come to no other conclusion. All right, thank you guys so much for listening today. Really appreciate you tuning in. As always, remember to just tell somebody that you know about Another World Audiobooks. That is the really the only way that this podcast is going to keep growing like it has been, which is really cool to watch, but I need your help to help continue spreading the word. So if you could do that, it would mean the world to me. I mean, it's a, it's a free audiobook. All you got to do is be like, hey, do you like free audiobooks? And they're like, yeah, I do. And then you'd be like, well, you need to listen to Another World Audiobooks on this podcast player. And then be like, okay, cool. And boom, we got a new listener. And that's how the podcast grows. Thanks guys for doing that. And we'll talk to you next week. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I have uh, some unfinished business that I need to finish up. I want to say a huge thank you to Marissa, who has recently become a monthly supporter of Another World Audiobook. So Marissa, thank you so much. It just means so much to me that you enjoy the podcast enough to become a monthly supporter. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Marissa. And if you want to get in touch with me at anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com, I would like to send you a special gift. So Marissa, if you're hearing this, get in touch with me, anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com, and I want to send you a special thank you gift for becoming a monthly supporter. So, And if you want to become a monthly supporter, all you got to do is go to anchor.fm slash anotherworldaudiobooks, and you can click on support this podcast, and I'll be giving you a shout out and sending you a special thank you gift as well. So huge shout out to Marissa. Thank you so, so much. And now without further ado, on with the episode. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
When I was in school, I absolutely hated writing. It wasn't until I was a bit older that I came to understand the power of words. If you're a business owner, you understand that power too. A business blog, when done right, can drive sales, increase revenue, and get you more customers. But as a business owner, you probably don't have the time to do all that writing. Plus, if you're not a copywriter by trade, you might feel like you're just kind of throwing words out there and they're not actually accomplishing anything. The good news is, there's a simple solution. Check it out. I call it the ultimate blog post checklist for businesses with online stores. This checklist will allow you to write better, more effective articles that convert readers into buyers. It's full of easy-to-follow examples to get your creativity flowing based on experience of nearly a million words written, and best of all, it's effective on any type of article in any industry or niche. I've successfully used this exact checklist on topics from pool table reviews to investment advice. Tired of spending tons of time writing stuff that doesn't convert? This checklist will change that by giving you highly effective blog posts and articles that transform readers into paying customers. Go to invicta.enterprises slash free checklist and start saving time and transforming your writing now. That's invicta.enterprises slash free checklist.